Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. On this program, we talk a lot about evidence for the Christian faith. We talk about arguments that atheists try and give against Christianity, and we try and deal with those. We also give positive evidence for Christianity. But what we don't talk a lot about is people who claim to be Christians, but in many ways dismiss or disregard or impugn areas of the Bible, areas they don't like. This is sometimes called progressive Christianity. I really don't like that term because it makes it seem like it's a positive term. It's really liberal Christianity or to a certain extent, disbelieving Christianity, or it may be you can't even call it Christianity as all at all. Yet these people claim to be Christians. Who are they? Might this brand of Christianity be creeping into your church? And how do you recognize it and what you can, you know, what can you do about it? And for that, I, I, I want to talk to uh, Elisa Childers, who really used to be a music star with Zoe Girl. She can tell us a little bit about that before we get into this. But now she's an apologist. She runs a fabulous blog at her website, alisachilders.com. That's A-L-I-S-A-C-H-I-L-D-E-R-S.com. I'll bring, I'll bring up that website later as well. And uh, she's actually attended uh, Southern Evangelical Seminary, taking classes there. And she's also attended not only the Cross-Examined Instructor Academy, CIA. She actually attended Advanced CIA the first time we did it just this past May. So that's how I, I know of her. And uh, she does a wonderful job on our blog, and it's great having her on here. Elisa, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I am so glad to be on with you, Frank. You know, yours was one of the first podcasts I started listening to when I discovered Apologetics. So I'm a longtime listener, so I'm really thrilled well, to be here. Well, how long ago did you get into apologetics? Well, for, well, first of all, even before we get to that, Zoe Girl, how did that happen? <laughs> well, you know, I am—I like to call myself the most unlikely apologist ever because I grew up totally not in that world. I have—I'm much more of an artistic person. I'm not an intellectual. Wasn't raised around intellectual Christianity. Was raised by artists. My dad was. Uh, also a contemporary Christian music recording artist uh, all my time growing up. And so uh, it was sort of natural for me to follow in his footsteps and go into music. And that was a, a calling I really sensed on my life from a young age. So when I was a little girl, he would take me around to his concerts and I would sing, you know, sometimes to my little Sandy Patty track. And we did a lot of uh, inner city ministry mm -hmm. uh, where mm -hmm. I would sing on the streets of LA and New York and Hollywood Boulevard. So uh, wow. my interactions with people who were sort of uh, antagonistic toward the faith happened in more of an organic setting, doing street ministry in the inner city. And uh, but but again, this never really was around the apologetics world. I kind of knew what it was, but I wasn't uh, it wasn't something that that I was really into mm -hmm. uh, until a little bit later in life. And so when I was about early 20s, 
I sent my demo off to Nashville, and just at the time that I did that, uh, the president of Sparrow Records at the time and our manager were wanting to put together a group, uh, like a pop group that would appeal to young teenage girls. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I was the, the the first one that they were kind of talking to. And then over the course of a few months, we found the other two girls and and then we were we became Zoe Girl. And so we were touring all over for about seven years, close close to a decade is, is the time we were from the time we met until the time we, we got off the road. And you, who did you did? Were you the headline act or did you warm up other bands or you the headline? How did that work? And, and how 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 many records did you sell? Do you do you have any recollection we, of that? Uh, well, we did sell, you know, when we first started, that was right before the music industry changed, uh, right in the beginning. This was before iTunes, before, remember Napster and all of yeah. that pirating and everything that was going on. So we sold um, quite a few records, the first couple of records, and then the whole industry changed and everybody was selling less. And uh, But I think, I know that we played to over a million people. Over the time that that we were together, we we did some really fun tours. We opened for Carmen, we opened for the Newsboys mm. and Toby Mac, and uh, we did a couple of headline tours of our own uh, towards the end. But yeah, it was just a, a tremendous experience. Then, how did you go from that to getting interested into apolo- interested in apologetics and actually doing it on on the web? Because you're blog is getting a lot of attention lately. How did, how did you transition from that and why, what was the impetus that got you into apologetics evidence? Well, I like to call it the school of hard knocks because Mm -hmm. what ended up happening is, you know, just, just to back up a little bit, when I was a little girl, I, I, I gave my heart to Jesus when I was really young, I was five or six years old. And then as early as I knew how to read and write, I really began to study and read the Bible. And I've always loved the Bible. I always knew I was raised to believe that the Bible was inerrant and inspired and the authoritative word of God. And that was something that my life, I mean, it really worked in my life. I I would read the Bible and apply it. And I just knew that this book was the word of God and that it was true. But that was never challenged intellectually Mm -hmm. until I was a lot older. So fast forward to the time when Zoe Girl is slowing down a little bit and we've all by this point, gotten married and started to have babies. And so I had uh, just had my first uh, baby, my little girl, and I was doing some solo music uh, just around town. And so a local church had invited me to do music at their, uh, for their Sunday service, I think it was. And so I went there and I sang some songs and there was just this instant connection. I loved the people. I loved the pastor. My husband and I just felt such a sense of community with these people. The pastor was an intellectual. I had never really heard a pastor that would, would approach sermons from a more intellectual place. And mm-hmm. I loved the way he would think outside the box. And at that time, you know, having been raised in the church and raised in a Christian home, I had some questions of my own about how evangelicals were going about certain things. You know, maybe have we been showing uh, a lot of love to this particular group of people, or, you know, maybe we've been too uptight about this or that. And I had some of these questions that it seemed like a lot of the people around me, especially in this church, had as well. And so after a few months, the pastor invited me to be a part of what he called an inner circle type 
study ministry training class. And the class was supposed to last four years and be the equivalent of what you would get if you went to seminary or if you went to uh, some kind of Bible school. Mm-hmm. And so I was really excited about it because I love the Bible. And when I got to the first class, it was within the context of this very small discussion-type class that the pastor revealed to me and to the class that he was actually an agnostic and that he wasn't sure that all of the things he was raised to believe were actually true. And he was very smart and very persuasive. And over the course of the months leading up to that, he had really won my respect and my trust as a pastor. And so some of the arguments that he were, was bringing out were very similar to the ones that atheists use. We, we spent time looking at the authorship of the Gospels and questioning whether uh, you know, they were really written by who we think they were written by, questioning the reliability, the historical reliability of the Old Testament, um, the deity claims of Jesus. Uh, we went through the essentials, and the pastor would, would kind of say, well, this one I think might be true, this one doesn't matter. So everything was fair game in this class, mm-hmm. even the essentials of the faith. And so it, it just spun me out in a way, because I, I had heard claims by atheists that were made against kind of the, the core gospel, but I had never really heard that coming from another Christian, especially Christian, that I had come to really respect. Well, you already had progressive Christianity growing up right in your own church, and he revealed it to you. Uh, Quite often that's not revealed like that. But we're going to come back and talk to uh, Elisa Childers. She's my guest today. You're listening to Cross-Examined with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network, our website, crossexamined.org. We're talking about liberal Christianity. What about it? How can you identify it? We're back in two minutes. Don't go away. Thank you for listening to the Cross-Examined podcast. This material is made available to you for free by the contributions of listeners like you. If you wish to support future podcasts, just go to crossexamine.org and click on the donate button or simply use the donate feature directly on our app. Thanks. I want to mention I'm going to be out at Rethink next weekend out in Costa Mesa, California with uh, our friends from Stand to Reason. They put on this wonderful youth conference. I think it's at Costa Mesa, the Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, I believe it is. It's on our website, crossexamine.org. Uh, check that out. In fact, let me verify that location. I'm pretty sure it's uh, the Rethink Student Apologetics Conference. Yeah, it's at Calvary Chapel in uh, Santa Ana, California, actually. And uh, right on our website, you can get details, crossexamine.org. Click on events and Frank Turek calendar. It won't just be me. It'll be me, Jay Warner Wallace, uh, Greg Kokel, several others will be presenting there. So if you're anywhere in Southern California next weekend, like to see you there. And then in the following weeks, I'll be at uh, Sand Hills Community, uh, a community event in Southern Pines, North Carolina, then uh, Spartanburg Methodist College in Spartanburg, South Carolina, then McNeese State down in Lake Charles, Lake Charles, Louisiana, uh, Cajun country. And then you guys don't want to miss the National Conference on Christian Apologetics at Calvary Church here in Charlotte. Ravi Zacharias will be there. Of course, whatever Ravi writes, God reads. You know that. Uh, Josh McDowell, you Ross, uh, Jay Warner Wallace. I'll be there. Several others. You don't want to miss that conference. It's probably the biggest in the country. And then after that, University of Maryland, Towson University, several others coming up. You don't want to miss any of that. Go to the website, crossexamine.org. 
and I uh, hope to see you at any of those locations. We're talking to my friend Elisa Childers about progressive or what I call liberal Christianity. And she was saying, uh, or Elisa, you were saying before the break that you were actually, you like this pastor. He started teaching you basically agnosticism when it comes to the Bible. And then where did it go from there? How did you, how did you get into investigating the material for yourself? Well, that's the interesting thing is in this class, when he would bring up skeptical claims against the Bible or against uh, some kind of essential doctrine of the faith, um, that's when I felt like I could, it was a little bit of an even playing field because the other stuff, like the, the facts he would have, I had never studied logic. I had never studied church history or anything like that. So I felt a little out of my element there, but when it would come into the realm of the Bible, that, that when he would take that out of context or misquote that, that's when it made me start to question all the other stuff he was saying. Mm. And so I remember just thinking, um, everything he's saying sounds airtight. It sounds perfectly logical and like it, it, it's very persuasive. But at the same time, I thought, well, I know that whatever evidence he has, and he's come to this conclusion, there's got to be somebody else that has the same evidence, but has come to a different conclusion. And so I need to find that person and right. then assess both sides for myself. And so, uh, but it was, it was really, it, it caused a really dark time of doubt for me because I had never really doubted my faith uh, up until that point. And I think when I was a little girl, one time I asked my dad, you know, how do we know God exists if we can't see him? And then, of course, you know, this artistic hippie musician dad says to me, well, you know, you feel him. And to me, that was a great answer. I was like, yes, I feel him. That's mm -hmm. great. And so for me, feeling God was evidence that he was real. And so when I was challenged from an intellectual place as an adult, I realized that I had nothing to stand on. Uh, because I had always based my life on the Bible, but when somebody was able to knock the legs out from under the Bible, I had nothing. I had no idea why I believed the Bible was the Word of God, or I had no idea about the process of the canon. I had no idea why I believe uh, this particular person wrote that particular book, or what it really means to be inspired by God, and why I believe that. And so uh, it really uh, kind of rattled my faith. And so I, I was in my car one day, and I heard this voice on the radio. And you mentioned Ravi Zacharias just a minute ago, and it, and it was Ravi, and his mm. voice was like a soothing balm to me because he was answering all the questions that this pastor had brought up in the class. And so I immediately downloaded Ravi's app to my phone, and it was through his app that I found Southern Evangelical Seminary, and I think that's how I found your podcast mm -hmm. shortly after that. And, and I just began devouring everything I could get my hands on uh, in the apologetics world and realized at that point that see, I thought everything he was saying was new. I, I didn't know that these were actually very common claims that have been made for a long time and have been answered for a long time. And so apologetics really saved my faith because mm -hmm. it, it gave me the reason why I believe what I believe. What I already know is true, but it, it really gave me a backbone and something to stand on to say, this is why I believe this. Well, Ravi was a good place to start, and then you branched out from there. Yeah. And how did you then get to the point where you are today? I mean, you started taking, you started auditing, I know, classes over at Southern Evangelical Seminary, and then you, of course, come to CIA. Did you, did you just 
read these books and listen to these folks and, 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 and then decide I, I need to get involved in the game and actually go on the internet and engage people that way. How did that happen? Well, it's all your fault, Frank, because <laughs> <laughs> I decided to go to, uh, the Cross-Examined Instructor Academy, mm-hmm. really at a point in my life when I was, I had been studying apologetics for six or seven years, and I thought, okay, I'm going to go to this thing and just see if this is something that God has for my life. And if not, I was ready to just sort of, I, w- I was satisfied in my own mind and my own heart about why I believe what I believe. And I was ready to just, you know, pack it up and move on to something else. And if God wanted me to go back into music or, or whatever, I was just open. So I went to cross-examine instructor Academy and, uh, my first instructor was Jim Wallace, Jay Warner Wallace. What does he know? And, and then you were my instructor the second day. And Uh so at the end of my time at cross-examined, as I was leaving, I remember kind of just saying my goodbyes and I, I said goodbye to you and you said, you know, you should start a blog. And so I went home and started a blog. So it's it's really all your fault, Frank. It's my fault. Well, you're doing great work. I'll take credit for that. Now you've got some, you've got several posts up here. In fact, one of them, I I just noticed um, you wrote about two weeks ago, a little over two weeks ago uh, about a woman by the name of Rachel Hollis. And she had written a book called girl, watch your, wash your face. And you did a little bit of review on her book. You read the book uh, and you got, I guess, two extreme responses from, wow, this is an amazing review to basically you got cursed out. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and this, this off of your website, this has 131,000 Facebook shares. Yeah. So somehow this blog, which is very well written as all your blogs are, ha- has struck a nerve somewhere out there in, in the internet. Uh, what, who, first of all, who is this Rachel Hollis lady? And, and what did you find with her book? What was good? What was bad? Just generally, we can't go through the whole article, but what did you find? Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I had never heard of her until mm-hmm. just a few days before I got her book and read it. And a reader of my blog had messaged me and asked me if I had heard of her. And she said, she's really popular. She's got this really popular book. And I think I had seen the book in Sam's Club when I was shopping one day. And so I went on her Facebook first. And the first thing that struck me is this, this girl is really good at creating community. She's got a very inviting page. She, she gives um, decorate, you know, she does home decor. She does cooking advice. Mm-hmm. life advice and she and her husband do these Facebook live posts that are just cute and she's adorable. And so I, I totally could understand why she was so appealing and why so many people liked her. Uh, but immediately on the Facebook page, I did notice that there was a strong message of uh, we're not supposed to judge anyone for anything. Mm. And it was so militant that they would ban people for um, just kind of disagreeing with someone else. And I thought, well, that's interesting. And then I did notice a couple posts that really sounded a lot like religious pluralism, where she would say, it doesn't matter who you worship. Uh, I worship Jesus, but you might worship someone else, and we're stronger together, we're better together, that kind of message. And so Mm. I thought, you know, this is worth looking into. So I got the book, and I read it over that weekend. And what really struck me about the book is, um, I kind of said this in my post, that it, it was exhausting to read, and I didn't mean that as an insult, as some people took it. But it was just all of the striving and all of the works-based 
approach to life. You know, just all of the things you need to be doing and all the things you're not doing. And it's okay if you're not doing them, but do them anyway. And it just seemed to be this very confused message. And so in the post, I, I, her book has to do with lies we believe mm-hmm. and lies that she had believed about herself. And what was interesting is as I was reading her book, I thought, you know, no, there is actually some lies that she believes that are informing the advice that she's giving uh, right. in this book. And so the book was primarily uh, just about you. It's just all about you. You are the hero of your own story. You are responsible for your own happiness. Your happiness comes first. Um, you're the top, you know, you're the first of your own priorities. And so her answer to everything was self-love. Mm-hmm. And of course, as a Christian, we know that Jesus doesn't call us to, to indulge ourselves, but to deny ourselves. And so uh, Wait, say that I, I again kind of pointed because... that out. That's really the key to progressive Christianity. Say that again. It really is. Jesus doesn't call us to indulge ourselves and everything that we want and what makes us temporarily happy. He calls us to deny ourselves. In fact, he talks about taking up our cross and following him. And uh, so in the one place in the book where she did talk about the gospel, she she said this. She said, um, I studied the gospel and finally grasped the divine knowledge that I am loved and worthy enough as I am. And that really is the thesis of her book, I think, is that you are fine just like you are. Just love yourself and and make yourself happy, and then you'll make other people around you happy as well. So no matter what you're uh, doing, even if it goes against the scriptures, if you're happy with it, that's what's most important. And it doesn't matter who you worship. yeah. Yeah, and don't make any judgments. I'm going to judge you for judging. So don't do that. Um, so not only is this, as you know, completely self-defeating, but if, if there ever could be a way of deceiving people, this would be it. Cause it sounds so right. It sounds so good. It sounds so attractive. It sounds like the, the lie of Satan in the garden. You know, mm-hmm. you want this for yourself. Don't listen to what God says if you if you do what you want to do, you're going to be happy regardless of what God says. Don't pay any attention to Him, and you'll become yeah. like God. And 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 you yeah. do you, do you find this kind of attitude throughout this progressive or liberal Christianity? We only got thirty seconds, by the way, before the break. But go yeah. ahead. Yeah, Rachel Hollis in her book is a perfect example of the message that's coming out of the progressive Christian camp. It's a very relativistic approach to faith. It's whatever I feel right about. And, you know, it's very pluralistic. Whatever your path to God is, is great for you. And uh, I have found that to be really true in the progressive world. And friends, has this crept into your theology or has it crept in to your church? Tim Keller recently said something like, if if your God never disagrees with you, then you just might have a fictitious God, somebody that you're just making up in your image. Is that the case with you? Does God agree with you on everything? And you're not going to the scriptures for who God is? We'll talk more about it with Elisa Childers uh, right after the break. Don't go away. I'm Frank Turek. Back in two minutes. College campuses are hostile to the Christian faith, and three out of four young people walk away from the church once they go to college. That's why we go to college campuses and present I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist in the United States and even all over the world. When we do this, we don't charge students a dime. That's why we need your financial support. In fact, over the past couple of years, we've been able to grow dramatically because of your generous support. And 100% of your donations 
go to ministry. Zero percent go to building. So when you give to Cross-Examined, you'll be giving to help us go reach young people where they are. Would you consider giving today? Thank you so much, and thank you so much for what you've done already. Progressive or liberal Christianity, what is it? Who are the main progenitors of this particular viewpoint, main advocates of it? You may have heard some of their names, maybe you haven't. Is it creeping into your church? And what can you do about it? I'm talking to Elisa Childers. Her website, elisachilders.com. Great blog you want to check out there. She's getting a lot of attention because she writes some great, uh, some great articles, great posts. And we were just talking about one uh, related to a book written by Rachel Hollis, who apparently is uh, selling a lot of books. Her book is called Girl, Wash Your Face. And uh, Lisa was just talking about uh, some of the issues with that book. Uh, you've also, Elisa, and by the way, the uh, the title of Elisa's podcast, not podcast, but you do have a podcast, but this particular article is called Girl, Wash Your Face, What Rachel Hollis Gets Right and Wrong. It's got 131,000 shares as of uh, as of this week, so you can check that out. You also talk a little bit about uh, five ways progressive Christianity and New Age spirituality are kind of the same thing. Alisa, what, what do you mean by that? What are the five ways that they're kind of the same thing? Well, this was really interesting to me. I uh, just turned in two chapters that I'm contributing to an apologetics book, uh, book for moms that's coming out in 2019. It's called mm-hmm. Mama Bear Apologetics, 11 Cultural Lies and How to Keep Your Kids from Swallowing Them. Mm-hmm. And so my assignment was to write the chapter on progressive Christianity and also to write the chapter on New Age spirituality. So as I began to investigate New Age beliefs, I could not believe how similar they were to the beliefs in the progressive Christian world. And uh, so I just kind of worked up a blog post tying those beliefs together. Uh, For example, one thing in the New Age is a redefinition or an abandonment of the concept of sin. So there's, in New Age, there's nothing called sin, uh, but just a failure to remember our own divinity. They believe we all uh, have a divinity within ourself. And as pantheists, you know, the interconnectedness, the oneness of everything, um, they, they would see humans as having an innate divinity. And this is a very similar thing you'll find in the progressive Christian world. And, and by the way, the reason they call themselves progressive Christians is because they really believe Christianity itself is progressing, that, you know, uh, the, the the infancy of the church, the guys like Paul and Peter and the writers of the Gospels, these were the people that understood it in its infancy, but we have progressed beyond that now. And so that's why um, they, they tend to use that term. But in the progressive world, there is a con- there's no really no concept of sin. They don't believe in original sin, uh, generally speaking. And they it, what's interesting is often they'll reinterpret the Adam and Eve story to say it wasn't sin that separated us from God, but a failure to realize how beloved we were by God. So mm-hmm. Adam and Eve, it wasn't their sin that separated them. It was when they withdrew themselves out of shame that they were separated from God, which is really interestingly similar to the thing in New Age where it's just a failure to remember your divinity. Yet on and, the other uh, hand, so, they, they will claim you're sinful for judging, making any judgments. While they make judgments that you ought not make judgments, oh, yeah. they're claiming it's wrong to make judgments. So 
on one hand, they, 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 they claim there is no sin. On the other hand, they have a list of sins a mile long you can't commit, right? I mean, you can't exactly judge them right, or judge yeah. what they're doing. Um, they're probably pretty socially liberal when it comes to the issues that we argue over in the culture, whether it's abortion or same-sex marriage or transgenderism or any of these things. Um, many yeah. of them are that way. So they, they do have their moral absolutes, and to disagree with them is, is, is in effect to be sinful, uh, so, Absolutely true, and I find that every time I write a post about progressive uh, Christianity, I get a ton of messages and a ton of comments really condemning me for being so judgmental. <laughs> and what, like, who am I to tell someone else how they should live their spiritual life? And so I always try to very gently just point out, you know, hey, I, I totally get what you're saying, but I'm just curious why you're trying to tell me how I should live my spiritual life. Right, exactly. I you're doing, be doing that with others. How do they know? respond? How do they respond when, um, you, when you gently point that out? Well, you are telling me how to live my spiritual life by telling me I ought not get involved in telling other people how they should live their spiritual life because you're doing the same thing. So what do they say? Well, it, it's, I get one of two reactions. Either they'll just stop talking and or say something kind of snarky. But sometimes it actually opens the door, and the person maybe didn't realize they were doing that. And so I, I actually had uh, one lady on the comments on Facebook on the Rachel Hollis post kind of do that. And then she was like, well, I didn't mean to do that. And then we ended up talking more, and she expressed some legitimate doubt she had about Christianity. So it was actually kind of a meaningful exchange. But um, the funniest one to me was I had several people say, how dare you criticize her publicly without reaching out to her first? And so I finally kind of just went on the comments and said, I just want to point out that none of the people who are criticizing me publicly for writing this book review contacted me privately first, <laughs> you know, and it's just, it's, you know, I think it's when we read in Romans one about the, the, the understanding being darkened, I think sometimes there's just not an ability to really grasp the, the logical fallacies that are committed uh, when they're arguing against, because it is so, it's really relativistic. It's, Mm. Um, unless, but like you said, that's a dogma in and of itself. You know, I remember we were down in Dallas, Texas, uh, Jim Wallace, Mike Adams, and myself for our fearless faith conference. It was one of the first ones we ever did maybe two or three years ago. And, uh, we're at, all at the book table and, uh, some lady came up to me and said, Hey, do you have a good book on Buddhism? And I said, why? And she said, well, a friend of mine who was a Christian now claims to be a Buddhist. I said, look. I don't know your friend. It could be that maybe she sincerely is a Buddhist, but let me ask you a question. Has your friend recently, before she transitioned into Buddhism and left Christianity, did she do something that most Bible-believing Christians, did she start doing something that most Bible-believing Christians would consider sin? And she goes, oh, yeah. I said, I don't know this woman, but I would venture to say that the reason she claims to be a Buddhist now is not because she thinks Buddhism's true and Christianity's false, but because she just wants to do something that is immoral, but she'd rather retain some sort of spirituality without any moral accountability. And the lady just looked at me and went, bingo. Now, it's hard to figure out, obviously, motivations for many people, but it seems to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me this could be the motivation behind much of this progressive Christianity. They want to have some sort of moral non-accountability. They want to do whatever they want morally and still have some sort of spirituality. True? I do believe that's true. In fact, one of the main um, driving forces 
behind the progressive movement is an, an acceptance and um, activism for LGBT rights and inclusion mm-hmm. within the church. Mm-hmm. And I hate the word inclusion, though, because it, it implies that people who have a biblical view would somehow not include someone uh, because of what they struggle with. And that's not what we're saying. But when they say inclusion, they mean without repentance. So, right. you know, they're, they're fighting for that within the church. Uh, and that's a, that's a big tenet in the progressive church. Yes, it's very important to draw the distinction between people in the church and repentant people in the church. Everybody right. in church is a sinner, but not everybody in the church is a repentant sinner. And everybody's welcome in the church, regardless of what sins they're engaged in. The only people who are not welcome in the church, according to the Apostle Paul, are those who claim to be Christians and yet are engaging in behavior and advancing behavior that is clearly against scripture. They're the ones who are advocating for behavior. And you could read about this in first Corinthians five, Paul says, expel the immoral brother. In other words, expel the person who says he or she is a Christian yet is advocating immoral behavior and engaging in it. That's the difference. And uh, so we're, everyone's inclusive in the church to say, we include every, everybody who's a sinner can come here. But what you can't do is claim to be a Christian and say that known sin is not sin. Right. And, and that's right. what progressive that's Christianity kind of, does. Um, yeah. And that's, that's what progressives are really fighting against. They're fighting for uh, inclusion. Uh, well, they're really fighting to redefine to where it's not considered sinful. And they have a very elaborate biblical case they make, um, you know, and it's, it's yeah, it, it's definitely a motivating factor for sure. Now, you also say that universalism in this article is one of the things that progressive or liberal Christians advance, and so do New Agers. Why universalism? What do you mean by universalism? Well, there has been a—watching this movement kind of get going really in the last 10 years, I think it's it's become—you know, we've always had liberal Christianity. Jay Gresham Machen was, you know, writing about this in the early 20th century, but I think the difference between then and now— is that the liberals have never been more unified and they've never been more organized and mainstreamed. So this really is getting into a lot of churches without people even realizing it. And so back in, you know, when I was sort of 2011, when, when this was just kind of getting off the ground and into the mainstream, there weren't a lot of progressive Christians that were saying, Oh, we, we, we're going to throw out hell. We're going to, we're going to throw out, you know, the Bible as authoritative. They were kind of still trying to claim those things. But then I think one of the driving forces uh, behind the universalism was Rob Bell when he came out with his book, Love Wins. Mm. And um, the book was more, see, this is the other thing about progressive Christians is they thrive on being as vague as possible. Right. So (laughs) it's really tough. You know, if you read Love Wins, he doesn't actually ever come out and outright deny that there's something called hell. He does a lot of redefinition. He does um, a lot of kind of skirting around it and saying what it could be this. And so it's, it's kind of difficult, but like he, he talks about heaven it and hell as literal places. Doesn't it? Doesn't it? Alisa? It's, it sounds very deceptive. It sounds, you, yeah, you come it as is. an angel in light and you, 
obscure things. You kick up a lot of dust. You use a lot of phrases that sound real good. In fact, you even have an yeah. article on your website about Rob Bell and the Bible, human book or divinely inspired. And you carefully read it and you say, I really like this guy. But when you look at the premises that he doesn't state explicitly, but are kind of underneath what he's trying to declare, they're, they're wrong. And, and you, yeah. you point that out clearly. It's very much like in Jehovah's Witness and Mormonism, where they'll use some of the same words, mm-hmm. but they mean very different things when they use those words. For example, inspiration. Rob Bell has a whole part, uh, a whole section in his book about what it means the Bible to be divinely inspired. And so he's not going to say, no, it's not inspired, but he means inspired in a completely different way than we've historically understood the doctrine of inspiration to mean. Yeah, and like Shakespeare was inspired, right? It, 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 was, it was something that, that yeah. lifted people up. It didn't mean that God had somehow guided it. Um, right, and he kind of refers to the Bible being inspired after it was written. So it's like if they wrote it and he made it inspiring or something like that. We're talking to Elisa Childers, her website, elisachilders.com. You want to check her out there, uh, particularly her blog and her podcast, because she really zeroes in on this liberal Christianity movement. And how can you identify this as creeping into your church? We'll talk about that in the final segment. I'm Frank Turk. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turk on the American Family Radio Network. Don't go away. If you find value in the content of this podcast, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find more. Just type Cross-Examine or Frank Turek on the search bar. Also, visit our website where we add new videos, articles, and free resources daily. What is progressive Christianity or liberal Christianity, and how can you detect it if it's creeping into your church? I'm talking to Elisa Childers, who is a brand new apologist out on the internet. She attended the Cross-Examine Instructor Academy and Advanced CIA and has written some brilliant posts on this topic. And you can go to our website, elisachilders.com, A-L-I-S-A-C-H-I-L-D-E-R-S.com. Former singer with Zoe Girl, for those of you who remember the band back in the 2000s. And uh, now she's involved in apologetics and evidence and these kinds of issues. So... Check her out there on the website. She also has a, we're about to talk about the five signs your church might be heading toward progressive Christianity here in just a minute. But before we do, I also want to talk about the fact that Christians and even non-Christians have doubts, have doubts about what they believe is true. And if you don't have any doubts, you're probably not thinking uh, because look, we're finite creatures. It's it's hard to get our minds around truth sometimes. And if you have doubts, I want to tell you about Bobby Conway. He is the, as you know, the one minute apologist. If you've heard this program before, we've t- had Bobby on before. And we're going to have him on next week to talk about a brand new course that he's bringing uh, to us called Doubting Toward Faith. That also happens to be a book. And he has struggled with doubt his whole life, but I think he's figured out a way to conquer doubt and he can help you as well. So tune in next week for Bobby Conway for doubting toward faith. In fact, if you go to our website, crossexamine.org, click on online courses, you can actually be part of a course where Bobby can coach you personally through doubts that you might be having. Uh, so check out crossexamine.org, click on online courses and man, that, that video he put up, he put a four minute intro video uh, on the landing page for Doubting Toward Faith. It is chilling. You need to watch that video. 
it's right there on the page. Just click on online courses and you'll see uh, Doubting Toward Faith there. And just watch that four minute YouTube video. I was like, wow, I want to take this course. In any event, uh, check that out. And uh, we're going to go back now to Elisa. Elisa, let's talk a little, about the, a little bit about the five signs your church might be heading toward this liberal uh, view of Christianity. Just let's start at number one. What's, what's, what's one, uh, the first sign that, you know, maybe liberal Christianity is creeping into your church? Well, the first thing to look for is a lowered view of the Bible. Now, I want to be careful how I word this, because progressive Christians will actually say that they have a higher view of the Bible. They will say that they take it more seriously. They read it in the way it was meant to be read. So they would probably not agree that they have a lower view, but basically what it means is they they no longer view the Bible as authoritative. They no longer view it as inspired and uh, inerrant, certainly don't view it as inerrant. Uh, In fact, Brian McLaren suggests that we read the Bible uh, more like how you would look at fossils. You You would dust them off, and that will let you know what was going on in that time, in that era. So in a spiritual sense, you can read... Uh, you know, Leviticus, and that will show you what they understood about God at that time. But for, you know, of course, this isn't the way that Christians have historically read Leviticus or any of the other books. So you'll hear buzzwords like an emphasis on the Bible being a human book or the the freedom to disagree with the Apostle Paul or with one of the uh, disciples, uh, you know, rejecting things you find immoral in the Bible. So those are some things to look for uh, is just the general approach to the Bible. And then you also mention in this post that they really emphasize feelings over facts. And now let, let me stop right here, because unfortunately, I think that's often the case, even in conservative churches. It's all about how you feel. Why is that yeah. not a good way to be a disciple of Christ, to emphasize feelings over facts? Yeah, well, our feelings lie. The Bible says that our hearts are deceitfully wicked. And and I think that so often we sit in a worship service and we get the chills and we, we feel really good and we go, oh, this must be, you know, God is here. So whatever they're saying must be true. And um, particularly in the progressive church, like they don't like the word answers. They don't like certainty. They, they hate certainty. So uh, they'll even have, uh, Brian McLaren talks about having Q&R sessions rather than Q&A sessions, and that's question and response rather than question and answer. They, they feel it's very offensive to give a definitive answer. Are they, so, are they definitive about not giving definitive answers? Yeah, <laughs> yes. They are? Yes, very much okay. so. So, well, yeah, I, so there, there might be parts of the Bible that don't resonate. You know, they might say it doesn't resonate with me, or mm. um, a lot of their theological positions will be landed uh, based on friendships that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, particularly with homosexuality, you might mm-hmm. hear people say, I thought homosexuality was a sin until I had some, some gay friends, until I met some gay people, and then I realized, well, God couldn't be, you know, upset with what they're doing because they're they're such wonderful people and, and so mm. forth. So a lot of the theological positions are landed on based on uh, feelings, emotions, more, more in that realm. Well, because God does love everyone, he wants us to behave in certain ways because he knows what's best for us. I mean, I always tell people, if any parent allowed their kid to do whatever they wanted, they wouldn't be a loving parent. It's not all about yeah. the feelings of the kid or even the feelings of adults. God knows how we're built and he knows what the purpose of life is. And he knows that certain behaviors are going to take you away from the true purpose and other behaviors will take you toward the true purpose to know God and to make him known. 
And uh, yet we think that we're going to do it our way, and that's the loving way. And we know that that doesn't work out, <laughs> but yet we still want to do it. Uh, how about the idea that essential Christian doctrines are open for reinterpretation? That's a big one. Yeah, this is a big, uh, big deal in the progressive church is that, you know, in fact, I, I note in my article here that a very popular progressive blogger and author, John Pavlovitz, he wrote when he was defining progressive Christianity, he said, there are no sacred cows, tradition, dogma, doctrine, it's all fair game, because all pass through the hands of flawed humanity. So in the progressive mindset, we can look back at, say, the Council of Nicaea and say, these guys were all flawed humans, so we, we need to make sure we agree with what they said. So let's, let's, take what, let's, you know, let's take the deity of Jesus and decide if we think that's really true, and often the answer is that, you know, a lot of progressive Christians will deny the deity of Jesus. There, there are some that will affirm it, but mm. at the end of the day, it's all up for re-examination, in a sense. And so uh, one place we really saw this was a blog post from a progressive Christian children's pastor uh, last year, I believe it was, about how to talk to your kids about Easter. And this pastor was saying, basically, that we really can't teach kids that Jesus died for our sins, because for some, that could be psychologically damaging to them. And mm. so, again, it's really more about the feelings rather than about the truth of who God says he is and, and what he's done. Isn't it in effect, when you really back up and look at this, Elisa, and we're talking to Elisa Childers, her uh, website, elisachilders.com, we're talking about liberal or progressive Christianity. Isn't it really the case that roles in progressive Christianity are sort of reversed, that we become God. We get to decide what's right and wrong and what we like and don't like. And, and God is in the dock, as C.S. Lewis would put it. We will, we'll put him on trial and say, no, God, we don't agree with this. You're wrong about this, but we're right about it. Don't, it is, is, is that Any the essence time, of it? it? It really is, because if you remove the authority from the Bible, if the, defi if the Bible is no longer the authoritative word of God, something else is going to become your authority. And well, we what we often see in the progressive world is it does become your own preferences, your own feelings, what what you feel makes you happy or the people around you happy. And it's it's like the book uh, Feet Firmly Planted in Midair. It's it's really a great metaphor for that. It's it's not founded on anything factual or truthful. Now, one of the other signs your church is going more toward progressive or liberal Christianity is this um you say the heart of the gospel message shifts from sin and redemption to social, social justice. Now, you're not saying we shouldn't be concerned about social justice. You're saying that the, the, the focus changes, correct? Right. Well, you know, in, again, just like if you remove the authoritative word of God, you'll get authority somewhere else. If you don't have a message of redemption, mm -hmm. you'll have to find it somewhere. So they, they obviously look around and see that the world is broken. So rather than out of the gospel transformation, uh, you know, helping the poor, which is how I was raised. I was raised around homeless people, and, and mm -hmm. we did lots of street ministry, so that was very much a part of the Christianity I was raised with. But if you remove the atonement part of that, which a lot of progressives really hate the atonement, they, they call it cosmic child abuse, mm -hmm. the idea that God would require the blood of his son is seen as something that's not just hard to understand, but actually they would view it as immoral and, and wrong and something we just adopted from the pagan culture around us. And so there has to be a message of redemption because they see how broken the world is. So if we can do good in the world, you know, that, that, is, our, that is what we're going to see the gospel as, is, is, you know, a 
the orphans and widows, which we should be doing, of course, but we don't throw essential Christian doctrines out the window to do those things. And I think that's the difference. There's so much more you've written on your website, Elisa, but we're almost out of time. I want to just circle back to the story you started with, and that is when you began to be taught by a pastor you respected uh, that he was agnostic and sliding much more into liberal Christianity, if that, if not complete agnosticism. Um, what, what, what ultimately happened to him, and what, what, what did you do? Did you stay in that church, or come, kind of close the loop for us? What, what happened there? Yeah, well, the class was supposed to last for four years. I made it about four months, and then my husband and I just, we decided we had to leave. We had kids there, and we just basically decided we can't raise our kids here. And, and to be honest, I couldn't handle much more of it. It was it was really just wrecking my faith. And so we left the church, uh, and several years later, uh, uh, this pastor finally came out on a Sunday morning and started to express his real belief. And so he uh, came out in favor of uh, LGBT inclusion, uh, gay marriage, uh, and then from there began to fall even further down that slippery slope. So the, the church went on to self-identify as a progressive Christian community. And after a couple of years, it dwindled. And I think there might be a very small congregation that still meets, but they, mm-hmm. they rent out space at a Unitarian church. And as far as I know, there's, there's not much left of it, but... Um, you know, a lot of people went through kind of what I did. It was, it was very difficult for a lot of people. And so this progressive Christian message is very damaging. It, it, it does damage to the gospel. It does damage it does. to people. Well, so thanks I'm so much. passionate about talking about Thanks it. so much, Elisa. Sorry we're out of time. It's elisachilders.com. elisachilders.com. Check that out. And also check out next week, Doubting Toward Faith with Bobby Conway. And we'll be at Rethink next week in California. I'm Frank Turek. See you next time. God bless. We work hard to create great content and deliver truth and valuable insights to all of our cross-examined podcast listeners. If you agree, take 30 seconds out of your busy schedule to leave us a five-star rating so more people like you can find us. Just look for the cross-examined official podcast, three words on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. We are truly grateful for your support. 